Support for WVIK comes from Kathleen Collins at the Dragonfly in Bettendorf. Using both conventional and alternative counseling methods for empowerment to help create change for individuals and couples. More information is at KathleenCollinsCounseling.com. Support for Talking Heart on WVIK comes from the people at Quad City Bank and Trust, helping the local community with their banking and financial needs for more than 20 years. Information is at QCBT.com. This is Carolyn Martin, and I'm talking art today with Sarah Raymer, a mixed media artist whose exhibition, A Tenuous Space, is on display at the Art Space Gallery on the Blackhawk College campus in Moline. Welcome, Sarah. Good morning. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Now, your exhibit is up through the rest of this week. Despite the closing date of November 1st, it's really beautiful work, and I hope that people get a chance to see it. How would you describe the body of work in this collection? So I've pulled together uh, work from a few a few different sort of sub bodies that I'm working in, and generally overall, my my work revolves around the theme of memory. And then from there, I break it down whether it's this idea of what happens to memories we no longer remember, and that was sort of the largest, older portion of my body of work. And then these middle pieces from probably. 2014 up and through recently, um, start dealing with the idea of well, what happens to the memories we we purposely forget, the stuff that we sort of shove down and don't want to deal with, and and eventually that that will will come to the surface. And so those are the pieces that have the three dimensional aspect to them. Um, and, and I've always used the book as a metaphor for this idea of memory. And when I first started off, I was using only the blank end pages, which means I went through a very many number of books to, to actually get enough paper to work into these pieces because you only get two to four blank pages per book. Um, and then eventually started working into the interior pages where it's recognizable as information, but it, it's just jumbled and it makes no sense at all. Mm-hmm. What other materials do you use? So I use primarily encaustic as my binder, which is a wax, it's a beeswax based paint. Um, been working in that since about 2004. And the first time I started intermixing paper in that material, because I was using acrylic prior to that. Um, it was just like the transformation that the materials took. I knew that like this is I had found what what was sort of the perfect combination of of translucency and texture and dimensionality and and optical depth. And then I'll I'll also work in some oil paints and occasionally some other materials. Um, I've been experimenting a, a good bit the last couple of years with uh, rusting and eco dyeing paper and fabrics. And so I've started to integrate those into the work also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have a couple pieces that are these circular rusted imprints, mm-hmm. um, that are, that are beautiful. I was, I was curious about encaustic. You, you said it's, it's heated beeswax, but then, then Correct. what do you add into it? You add the pigments into the wax? I tend to get my, my paint commercially made, um, from, there's a few manufacturers. They all happen to generally be in New York for, <laughs> for whatever reason. But, um, I buy it commercially made this way. The pigments get ground down sequentially and then will stay in suspension. There's also some Damar resin in there, which helps act as a hardener, keeps the paint in 
in suspension raises the melting point a little bit, um, just gives it a better working property. So um, it's it does have to be heated to be worked with, um, and then it can be scraped back into, it can be built up, it can be um, incised and backfilled with oil. You can embed other materials. It's a, it's a very versatile material. Mm-hmm. You've described the title of your show, A Tenuous Space, this way. Uh, words, thoughts, memories come and go in a fraction of a second. They live in this tenuous space between one another where they are active or buried within the unconscious. When do you recall first thinking about, um, about the existence of this fleeting, very transient space and how you might represent it visually? Um, Like I said, I've always worked around the idea of memory. Most of it um, really kicked off right right around the time I was graduating college. Uh, My maternal grandmother that I was very, very close with growing up was diagnosed with Alzheimer's and dementia. And so working in the studio became sort of my way of, of grappling with watching this person that was very important to me little by little, slowly start to slip away and then wondering what, what happens to these memories once, once they're gone, is it as if these events never existed? Um, so that was the catalyst that really kicked it off. And then just further, you know, thinking about the things that, you know, when do we deem something important enough to like record it into memory? Um, is it just, is it automatic? Are there things, you know, I'll remember random things, but then sometimes big overarching things where it's like, oh, is that how that went down? And then you have to wonder, is it, is that actually how it happened? You know, that whole, there's, there's three sides to the truth, you know, yours, mine, and what actually happened. Um, we have this great ability to sort of remember things as we, as we want to or not want to. Right. And you seem to have captured that visually because when I looked at the show, it had this um, dreamlike quality to me, almost otherworldly. Um, and really together as a group, there's 15 pieces. They're quite striking when you see them all together. They're, they have this very serene, peaceful feeling. They do. And, and part of that is because I do force myself to work in a little bit of a, of a limited palette. Um, mostly it's like, you know, a black, white, whatever colors I'm getting from the paper itself. And so that tends to put more emphasis then again on these, these decaying papers and, and, you know, whether I'm bringing in rust, which is typically thought of as a, as a decay or a bad material. And, and this idea of like these things that are sort of fleeting and crumbling can be very beautiful. Mm-hmm. You know, it's clear from looking at your work that you love books and old books in particular, um, and that's becoming a, kind of a lost, a lost thing, a lost way of life, um, since we live in a digital world. And it's it's a it's perfect use when when you're trying to talk about in your work, you're talking about memory, fragments of of things, memories, things we've thought about consciously that that are lost, that are in this tenuous space. Exactly, and and we no longer, I mean. That's how we used to record our history, whether it was family history, history of, you know, society of, was books. And now we're at this point where it's, it is, it's all very digital. It's very fleeting. Um, the more it even seems like digital is a material or a, a medium that is, is more permanent because it can be stored and you don't have to worry about the effects of time. Um, it, it's actually even more fleeting than the book because it just, there's so much of it. 
to sift through, does it even matter anymore? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the ancient texts, the, even I, I don't know how old the books are that you've used, but they look really old. Um, they look like they're portions of scientific books. There's a lot of graphs that you can see. Some of them. There's one in a particular piece in there, which occasionally um, when I'm looking for books that that I want to use, um, I'll usually refer to myself, I'm a book unmaker. Um, but at least I feel like I'm giving a second life to these materials that might otherwise go in the garbage or, or something else because I tend to buy them from yard sales and secondhand stores. Um, I'll look for things more for the quality of the paper, but every once in a while I'll find something that is just so perfect. So one of the one of the larger pieces that is sewn paper to canvas um, came from a, a artistic textbook called The Use and Enjoyment of Color. Well, it was an old book. Absolutely nothing in that book was printed in color. <laughs> so occasionally I'll, I'll throw in things like that just because it's, it's entirely too perfect. Um, and other times I'm picking out, you know, specific, I want to make patterns in there and I want, um, you know, certain graphics to flow in. But for the most part, it's, it's the quality of the paper is, is it going to work and, and hold up to, to how I'm manipulating it? Mm-hmm. You mentioned hand sewn. It actually is. You can see in certain pieces, you can see the stitches where, yep. where you, where you secured it, where you, where you sewed it onto the backing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Those, those two particular pieces I had to, um, for a show that they were in, we were doing a pop-up show in, uh, in an alley in Chicago one night for, for Chicago Loop Alliance. And so I knew I needed lighter weight substrates, um, and not these big, heavy wooden panels that I usually work on. So it's like, well, how can I use canvas, um, which would normally not be a proper backing for, for something that's wax-based, and it's like, well, let's let's go. Here we go. We're gonna we're gonna sew it and see how that works. So, and it was a very just sort of meditative process. And and every particular every piece of paper has three stitches to again play into that. There's three versions of the truth: yours, mine, and and what actually happened. <laughs> yes, what really happened that that uh, is often quite distinct. You know, we all have our own sense of reality. And we fervently believe that that's the truth. But what really happened is is sometimes a little different. Exactly. Even down to like little details. And this just ap- actually happened last week where I was, I was getting into a discussion with my partner about a particular sweater that he owns that he wore on our first date. And I was trying to like, I was like, no, it's light green. It was like, a, and he's like, it's my sweater. I know it's not light green. I'm like, I swear that's the color it was. And that's absolutely not the color it was. But for whatever reason, I had it stuck in my head that it was a green sweater that was a particular color green. And that's absolutely not the case. Uh-huh. So we know our minds absolutely um, don't necessarily record memories as they actually happened, which is even more so of this, like, well, even if the memory isn't remembered, did it ever really happen? And it's sort of one of those cases, did it ever really happen in the first place? Mm-hmm. And, and these are absolutely unanswerable questions, um, but it makes you stop and at least think about like, oh yeah, what, you know, what is worthy of really trying to make sure I lock away in my brain correctly? Mm-hmm. 
your show resonated with me for that reason that you're trying to capture that that elusiveness of memory um, in a visual way, which is which mm-hmm. is hard to do. Um, and there's both two dimensional and three dimensional work there. You have three pieces that are almost sculptural. They stand up on these acrylic stands. Um, and you, you're using bone fragments in them. In fact, one is a decorated goat skull. <laughs> that, yes. um, can you describe that for us? Sure. So last year I was actually down in um, Kansas City teaching a workshop and went into this really funky, cool little uh, thrift store that's only open one weekend a month. And they happen to have this like random bucket of bovine bones Uh and it was sort of like, well, let me, it, it fit all the criteria of, I have to work on a surface that is rigid and absorbent. Those are sort of the two rules within caustic. If you want to make something that you know is going to going to hold up and you're not going to have cracking issues. And so I bought a couple of the bones and took them back to the studio um, and started working on them. And, and I've always had this thought of like memories, events, they, they imprint on us, um, as a matter of fact, like my senior thesis show in college, I, I projected photographs that I took onto a body and then rephotographed the body as this idea of like times and events, they, they stick with you, whether you see it or not, they leave an impression. And so sort of, you know, 15 years later, circling back around to that theme, um, starting to work with with bones and and this idea of, of imprintation literally on our skeleton. Um, and obviously animal bones are a little easier to get a hold of and a little, a little less off putting to work on, I I would suppose. Mm -hmm. So, but on those bones, you can see these, these imprints, there's images, Mm -hmm. some of the teeth are like burnished gold. They're, they're, they're super interesting to look at. Yeah. So all of the, on the, um, the jawbone, which is a, a horse mandible, um, and then on the, the bovine, whatever, whatever bone that is, they, they obviously weren't marked. Um, those are photographs also that I've taken. So I'm, I'm always going to work generally with my own materials. And then I had a, um, I was starting to experiment with rust printing on some very, very fine gompy tissue paper that I let the print sit too long and it just absolutely disintegrated and fell apart, but I couldn't, couldn't bring myself to get rid of it, which is how it ended up on the, the goat skull of, of, again, these ideas of, of decay and imprintation and, and starting to make people have to look and realize, like, confronting that things that are things that are a little normally off-putting can still be very beautiful. Um, and it's, it's a little bit of, of confronting sort of our own, our own, again, mortality and, and, how we remember things and how we, we live our lives and, and what things we actually pay attention to and maybe aren't the most pleasant but can be important. Mm-hmm. Some of the other works that are there are from a, a collection entitled um, Coded Stories, and these are a little different in appearance but share the use of words and language. And what concept were you trying to express when you created these? So the Coded Story series um, was was one that I got about 10 pieces into and, and stopped it. Um, some of them went to that show. A few of them went to another show uh, that's going on concurrently in, in Wisconsin. Um, and so it was a time where I was trying to deal with some interpersonal relationship things going on and, and this idea of 
you know, what we say and, and that are we speaking truth? Are we saying things that aren't necessarily accurate? And so um, the particular piece that's in, in the show uh, Blackhawk is a conversation that's gone back and forth. And, and this was an actual conversation that was had that I then, um, there's a, a, an app you can go into uh, to actually put text in and it will kick it back into Morris code. Um, and so this idea that, you know, some of these um, conversations are actually cries for help. They're actually distress calls. They're not, you know, and, and the words that are being said are not actually truthful um, and that there's bigger, bigger issues there. So there's other pieces from that series that I did that are some hand thrown um, bowls and that, so there's this idea of like, there's juxtaposition where there's, you know, one thing on the outside and another totally different meant thing on the inside and this back and forth and how we don't always say what we're thinking. We don't always mean what we say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Appearances are deceptive. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about your own artistic background. Where did you do your training? So my background's in graphic design and photography. I went to Dominican University here in the Chicago area. Um, and I was graduating right at the point where, uh, we were switching to digital in the realm of photography. And so that was sort of a big shock to the system where you come out of school and you're like, I don't have a dark room anymore. And digital photography was at maybe three megapixels back then. So that is when I started, uh, working mixed media and painting and doing more because I knew I still wanted something that was very hands-on. Yeah. Um, and so it kind of grew from there. I know in 2012, you won an Illinois Arts Council grant. So you've you've been doing quite well and you live outside Chicago, mm-hmm. but you teach classes and workshops around the Midwest. How did you um, get this show at Blackhawk College? What was your connection there? Uh, so the, the person that used to up until this year, uh, the faculty member at Blackhawk that was in charge of the gallery had was taking a workshop from me I think it was last year up in uh, Door County at Peninsula School of Art. Um, And we just started talking while the workshop was going on. And she said, we have some room in the schedule next year. I'd like to like to bring you in. Um, And then it kicked off from there. That's usually how a lot of these connections end up being being made is someone sees your work in person um, or has met you through a workshop or an introduction. Mm-hmm. Well, I hope people do get to see your work because it's it's really lovely and so thought provoking. You you've been to our community before. You did teach at one point at the Figure Art Museum, at least a class in the in the more distant past. Yeah, I had done a, a one day sort of introductory to to encaustic um, workshop, and it was really well well attended. So, um, but we've got some some unique requirements with the medium as far as studio needs for ventilation and power and things like that. And it just didn't, didn't unfortunately end up being a a space that was going to work for anything on a more ongoing basis. Mm -hmm. After the show closes, where can people view your work? So uh, I've, I again have some work up uh, about five pieces at Peninsula School of Art in Door County. Uh, That is up through the end of November and then from there, it's back into the studio to, to start working. And so um, between social media on Instagram or my website, 
uh, raymer-studio.com. Uh, those are those are the best upcoming places to see what's going on. Okay, great. And you'll also be present um, this Thursday, October 31st. You'll be at Blackhawk College in person for your closing reception where people can talk to you in more detail about, about your pieces and, and the inspiration behind your work. Yes, we'll, we'll be having a, a small reception uh, where I'll be doing an artist talk, answering questions, um, things of, of that nature, and I hope people can come out and see the show. Great. Well, Sarah Raymer, thank you so much for talking today. Thanks for having me. Don't miss the opportunity to view Sarah Raymer's mixed media exhibition, A Tenuous Space, this week at Blackhawk College's Art Space Gallery. A closing reception will be held this Thursday, October 31st from 3.30 to 5.30 p.m. where you can meet Sarah and view her work. The Art Space Gallery is located on the first floor of Building 4. You can also view her work online at raymer-studio.com. This has been Carolyn Martin, Talking Art in the Quad Cities for WBIK. Our theme music is provided by a Quad City legend, the late Ellis Cal. Thank you.